Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Strance here live from the mobile Kintex studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can get your texts in. Uh, Kevin Woodley is going to join us at 1 o'clock live from the rink here. With Woody! Woody. Very exciting there. So we can get into Demko, Aiden Hill, who's, as we said, is having a great season uh, as well. I always feel bad because Woodley is also just a – like he also just covers the team, but we only talk to him about goalies. You know what I mean? I know – I'm sure he doesn't mind. He loves Well, goalies. did you hear – we played that Rick Talkin audio from Monday where it's like the scrum's like about to wrap up and, and before it can wrap up, Woodley's like – and what about Demko? <laughs> You're goaltending, Rick. But I, I'm going to ask Woodley. <laughs> or goes, or goes, I'm going to ask Woodley a non-goaltending question. Okay. I'm going to do it. Why? I don't know. Like he, it's not like he doesn't understand the rest of the game, doesn't have smart things to say about it. I'm just going to say, reach for the sky, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin Woodley's the best, and yeah, his goaltending analysis is amazing. And I just liked that he went Dave Pratt style on Talk It on Monday and was like, goaltending, your thoughts. <laughs> Give so me a good. quote about the goalies. <laughs> so good. Um, 650, 650, as I mentioned, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Shane texted in, will Vegas get Dempcoed? And what's the over-under on Kuzmenko getting 10 minutes of ice time? So my theory is that Vegas can no longer get Dempcoed without Pete DeBoer. Yeah, I mean, I think... My theory is that to to truly get Demcode, Pete DeBoer, Pete DeBoer must be your be coach. Involved. Yeah, which is why like what happened when T- Pete DeBoer coached against Demco this year. Yeah, <laughs> shut out, baby. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the like Demco virus that was afflicting the Vegas Golden Knights in the bubble moved to Dallas with well, Pete DeBoer. And I will say, I mean, not that it was the bubble specifically, but. Vegas, like that wasn't the only time Vegas ran into a hot goalie, quote unquote, in the playoffs, right? No, and so I think it was actually did <laughs> like it's like it did play a part in them moving on from Pre DeBoer. It was like, oh, we need to get better at breaking down good goalies in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean that was the biggest change when Cassidy came in. They started, you know, being really disciplined about generating the highest quality looks possible. I also think it's why, like, when the Maple Leafs got Bobrovsky'd, it was one thing. And when Carolina got Bobrovsky, mm. it was kind of another. Like, well, thing. Carolina does it to themselves sometimes. <laughs> like it's like, oh, really? You had trouble. You got a lot of shots, but you didn't score many goals in the playoffs, Carolina. At some point, a guy stopping like eighteen Brady Shea point shots is not. Wow, what a run! Yeah. Anyway, we talked about that enough last spring. Um. Anyways, but the point about Kuzmenko's minutes, and we touched on those, and I do think just in general, the minutes <laughs> ask distribution. Woody, sorry, ask Woody how many minutes he listened to Swift this year on Spotify. <laughs> is is Taylor Swift a goalie? <laughs> <laughs> what does she know about goaltending? <laughs> Any songs about goaltending? Um, I do think the minutes distribution tonight in this matchup, and what I'll really be watching, the minutes on the blue line. Right, because you know, I know Tyler Myers and Ian Cole had a maintenance day. They got the day off yesterday uh, when the te- rest of the team practiced. But you look at how Kronikin Kron- Hughes on Monday too. So like all, yep. even as the team has practiced twice this week, all of their their top four defensemen have had at least one practice off. off this week. And I think that's smart, right? Because you look at the minutes that those guys are logging. You look at the hits. Intense. You look at the hits Cole took against Anaheim, man. 
<laughs> I'm serious. Guys like Gumby if he's in the lineup tonight. Like, incredible But stuff. I'm really curious to see what the pairings are, right? Like, do we see Friedman go back with Cole? Because, you know, he had that nice run when he came here, but now it seems like the coaching staff has maybe started to see the flaws a little bit. They're not, you know, he's not necessarily their first choice to bring into the lineup all the time. And I'm just curious to see where the minutes end up because, yeah, look, they're out there. They're working the phones for a defenseman. You know, Carson Soucy is going to come back at some time. But that could, those both of those solutions could be a long way away, right? So I think you want you would love to find – maybe it's Christian Willannon when he gets a chance, but you would love to find something that lets you dial those minutes for your top four back and just have trust, a little bit more trust in the totality of your blue line here before you get to January, February, or whatever. Yeah, and look, Friedman's going to play the left side because I don't think they'll have Juleson do it. So yep. we're going to see a steady diet of Friedman-Myers uh, when Friedman's on the ice. I also think we're going to see a lot of mix-and-match defense pairs by committee stuff from the Canucks over the course of the game. And then at the end of the game, you're going to see a massive minutes disparity between Juleson and Friedman and the other four guys. Yeah. Like, that, that's, that's what I'd strongly expect tonight. And what's going to be interesting is what can Vegas do – to punish Vancouver's lack of defensive depth and vice versa with Shea, with Shea Theodore, Shea Theodore out of the lineup. Yep. You know, what can the Canucks do? Because certainly with Theodore out, Vegas is not as dynamic offensively from the back end. Uh, but, but you know, there's still good puck movers there. So it's it's sort of that, – that to me is the dynamic to watch, especially because, you know, for me this is also the game where Pew Suter's absence mm. is going to be felt. Vegas rolls three top-line caliber centermen. You know, like, this is very much L.A.-like. Uh, in fact, maybe even better than L.A., because I don't know that I'd rate Kopitar at this stage of his career as a top-line centerman. You know, he's still an amazing player, don't get me wrong. But, you know, Chandler Stevenson's like a five-on-five scoring ace. William Carlson has got to be the most underrated top-line caliber center in the league. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Jack Eichel. Also <laughs> really good. Also Jack Eichel, who, you know, I, I think maybe was um, like well, certainly should have been the other consideration for Con Smythe for them, right? Like he's yep. he's brought a, a whole new level. He's well, one of the then, best players and in the league. Wah rounding it out, right? As a, an elite bottom six <laughs> center, preposterous. So yeah. you know, this is a night where I do think there's a little bit of a disparity down the middle, which is usually in Vancouver's favor because not a lot of teams have a Miller Pedersen type yeah. punch, but Vegas kind of can match that and has another guy that's a that's an interesting dynamic to watch I, I feel like this is one of those nights where Pew's suitors absence from the lineup is going to be felt yeah I I think you're on to something there and I mean I uh, we mentioned it in the opening segment I mean Vegas you just look at their forward group and you can you can sense the loss of Riley Smith like they are not that it's not good right like they still have a really impressive top six and they got Nick Waugh in their bottom six Mike Amadio who I really like has been a really good pickup uh, for them, but you can kind of see there that one guy who moves the needle away from being as intimidating, as daunting as they were uh, last season, although still a, a very challenging team here. Uh, we were talking in the first segment, running through the, uh, you know, the rumor mill in the whiteboard, and I mentioned Elliot Friedman saying Canucks are going to scour the market. You know, there'll be some names that we've heard that could be in the mix and some names that we haven't necessarily thought of uh, that could be in the mix. This text comes in. Does Patrick Alvine try and go after Ivan Provorov? And, you know, Columbus has been in the 
they want to move a defenseman rumor mill for a long time here now. Now, they just went out and acquired Provorov and paid a big price to do it. With the salary retention that they already took from Philly, his number is down to below $5 million, so that becomes interesting there. I don't know if, like, I, I think at that point, since they just acquired him and paid a big price to do it, they're going to demand an awful lot to get a player well, like you, Ivan Provorov. You, you at least got to get your price back. Yeah. You know, like, if it's a cost-free rental, that's one thing. You know what I mean? Yes. If it's, uh, you're, you're not taking a loss on that, especially because you could hold him for 12 months and then pedal him as a two and a half million dollar expiring next year. I mean, then you're talking about absolutely getting your price back. Yeah. So, you know, the, the one thing that I'd sort of watch for with Columbus there is what's the incentive? Why, why yeah. do you do that deal now? Yeah. Unless, you know, you're getting literally like the Philip Heronic or the Jacob Chikorin type return. Uh, in exchange, I don't like Provorov at that price. No, and that I like the player. Though. That falls into the clear category of me for me of hey, it's January, the end of January, and we're first in the Pacific, and we've been playing really, really well for the last two months, mm. and we're gonna go for it. Then, okay, do you at least start to talk about it? Sure, but until then, you know, I think you're if you're looking at Columbus's cap friendly page, you're trying to pick out a defender. You're probably looking more at Andrew Peak, Jake Bean, Adam Boakfast. Oh, and you know on Canucks Talk we are always looking <laughs> We're at Andrew always Peek. about Andrew Peak. Yeah, We're we, always we, peaking at defense options. Well, yeah, that's, as Friedman that's, would say. That's peak Canucks talk. <laughs> um Hey, he'd be available for less less than free. Right. They would pay you. They would pay you. I think, to take Andrew Peak. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Two more years after this one at two point seven five? Yeah, he's still what, 24, 25? 25. Right-handed, physical. There's there's teams with mileage on yeah. Andrew Peake. No, no chance. I don't think All he's right. a... But I, I think it would be, if not free, very close to He's free. not a negative value guy, I don't think. If he's not, he's very close. No, nah, I don't extremely think Extremely low. You don't think he has extremely low value? I don't, I don't think he has high value, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's a negative value asset, right. no. Fair enough. <laughs> Credible right-handed defenseman. Like, you have to be so bad to have negative value, man. <laughs> Like this is this is you know I, I wrote this in a mailbag earlier this week, but someone was like, "Could you see a I realistic mean, like a regular healthy scratch for Columbus?" Yeah, no, like I, I get it, but I, so I wrote this in the mail in a, a mailbag at the Athletic earlier this week, where someone was like, "Could you see a realistic path to the Canucks retaining Tyler Myers on a cheaper one-year deal?" And so I start really thinking about it and like looking yep. into it and diving into the numbers and the scoring stats and the and the comps and the market and on and on, and. Do I think it's realistic that the Canucks could keep Tyler Myers from his end? Yes. He's settled in Western Canada. Right. Yeah. Um, he spends his off-seasons in, in this province, yep. like, on and on. He's a family man, right? Those guys are l far more uh, reluctant to leave <laughs> once they're established and in their 30s for obvious reasons. Your idea, when, when someone brings up, could they keep Tyler Myers for – a, a more affordable number. Every, they're thinking. What, they're thinking like one, one by million. one. <laughs> one by one. That's what everyone thinks. Right. Like, Sign him cheap. One by one. <laughs> and like this guy's got what ten points now. So he's definitely got nine. Yeah. Nine or ten points, which puts him by the way in the top forty mm -hmm. in defenseman scoring this season. He's six foot seven and right-handed, and those are immutable facts for Tyler Myers. He's going to approach a thousand games this year. He's playing big minutes. He's played deep into the playoffs. He's now playing big minutes on a winning team, including a huge burden on the penalty kill. He's a four million dollar player. Like your affordable deal on Tyler Myers. He's a four million dollar player, almost surely market price. Yep. 
based on what he's done in the first 20 games. So, just like... And not on a one-year deal, probably, right? Well, I don't know. It could be like... I could see two or three. I, I was thinking, I was thinking like, he gets the premium Eric Johnson, which was one times 3.25 in yeah. Buffalo. I mean, I don't know. Teams are so reluctant to hand out term at this point. Yeah, to guys I guess he'll be, thir- he'll be 34. Yeah. So that's a little, that's a couple years older than I was thinking. So now, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll push for term because yeah. this is his last chance to sign a, yeah. a non-35 plus contract. But, you know, I'm just saying that the, when people think of affordable Tyler Myers, they're, they are thinking about something that probably has very little relationship with his ultimate market price this summer. Well, and that's why, I mean, a lot of the, you know, how often do we hear when we're talking about the, the Canucks salary cap picture going forward, right? And it's, well, hey, you know, $6 million from Tyler Myers is coming off the book, and it's treated as if that's pure, like you're not getting any value for that $6 million right now, but, you know, look how much they're playing him. Look how much... Uh, they're relying on him right now. So, yeah, you're getting that $6 million off the books, but you still need to go out and replace his minutes. And, look, hey, like Ian Cole is playing really, really well on a on a one-year cheaper-than-Tyler-Myers deal, right? So you can do it, but it's not nothing. It's not zero cost to go out and replace Tyler Myers. Uh, we also have a text coming in. Mike Matheson and Marcus Pedersen are a couple guys to keep your eyes on. Both of those guys were acquired, of course, by Rutherford when he was in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Neither is getting dealt. Like, I'm just telling you right now, like, the Montreal Canadiens, um, Mike Matheson is um, from Point, Point, Point Claire. He's a, a Montreal native. He wears an A on that sweater. Uh, he's got three more years, and they are building this, like, fast blue line that, you know, he, he fits in really well with. Like, I, I just see no... In that Montreal Canadian like good vibes rebuild, I, I see no way that they view him as as um, as dispensable. And then Marcus Pedersen's been like one of the top He's playing really well, fifteen defensemen in the league. <laughs> He's playing, really and that well. team's in on trying to make a playoff push. No chance. The, yeah. Like if it, I I think it's instructive to think about those players though from the perspective of what does the next Marcus Pedersen or the next yeah. Mike Matheson look like from the vantage point of this front office group like that I think is worth unpacking right well and I think as you mentioned that he went and acquired um Mike Matheson and like Mike Matheson at under five million dollars right now I think would be a great addition right if you're like that type of player you know what I mean and that type of contract where it's not it it was a wild dice roll at the time yeah but it actually ended up kind of working out but I what I what I mean is in terms of if you're going to if you're going to go make that next move on the blue line the Hronik situation is such where it's working really, really well on the ice, but it's going to be really complicated off the ice, right? And I think what you want is to find, ideally, you can find a player where the off-ice contractual stuff is a lot less complicated, either mm. because there's term on the deal or because, you you know, their status is such that they're not going to have as strong an arbitration case or whatever the case is where you think, okay, we can get this guy and get him locked up to some cost certainty or he's already locked up. Like that, I think that has to be a part of finding that next defenseman because if Ferronic stays around, he's going to be making a ton. Quinn Hughes is making a a significant number, although obviously way less than what he's actually worth. Like I think you need to have the guy with really locked in at locked in at a uh, a very reasonable number as part of your next target. So I get why you're looking at Mike Matheson, but as you said, it's probably more about trying to find that next player who can fit that mold. Yeah. 
Um, Chet, by the way, and Burnaby texts in about Dom Lecision's new player cards, which you can go read at The Athletic. I've retweeted it if you want to go check it in my uh, Twitter feed at Thomas Drance or my X feed at Thomas Drance. Um, anyway, um, takeaway number one, Quinn Hughes plus 27 awesome. current net rating. That is so far and away better than everyone else in the Pacific Division. It's like silly. Like Number two is a tie between Dreisaitl and Hyman plus 20. Connor McDavid's currently at plus 16. Quinn Hughes destroying. Yep. 50% Destroying more. things. Yep. Now, the specific thing that Chet was interested in was the bad defensive numbers. Like Pedersen, minus two defensive rating. Um, JT Miller, plus one defensive rating, which is actually better which than I would have guessed. Good, actually. Yeah, it is, it's solid. Uh, Philip Peronic plus one. So look, Dom's model typically works to create an environment where, like, plus two is elite defensively, whereas a guy can have, like, a plus A huge 20. offensive number. That's yeah. just how the model kind of works. Um, I wouldn't read too much into that, uh, generally speaking. Like, a zero defensive rating is, like, good. A number one defensive rating is huge. And a number two, to, like, a plus two is, like, elite. Quinn Hughes a plus three, by the way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like... D- I, I'm not reading much into uh, Vancouver's sort of lower defensive ratings, but, you know, not a huge surprise that a model based off of XG will ding the Canucks somewhat, right, on their on their overall defensive performance, given how this team is underperformed in terms of their control of expected goals relative to the rate of actual goals with which they've outscored their opponents, or even shot attempts, which have always been more generous to this team's status over the course of the first 23 games. Well, and I think really the the takeaway for me looking at these uh, these player cards and great tool up at the Athletic. I would really highly yeah. recommend everyone go check it out and click around, but I mean one that obviously it matches what we're all seeing, which is that the Canucks best players are playing really really well, sure. <laughs> you know, from Quinn Hughes on down, but also that all of the key players are outperforming what they were forecast to do by the model, right? Like we we talked at length about Quinn oh, Hughes. Well, so but I think the forecast is like at the end of the season. That's what I mean. Rest of season. You see what I'm saying? It's like Quinn Hughes is a plus oh, that's twenty-seven. What they think that's where they think he's good. But still, like Quinn Hughes is outperforming what they thought he was going to do at the beginning of the year. Well, for sure. You know what I mean? But S- like, especially dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't say, and I don't bring that up to say, and therefore they're going to regress. But I think it's just like it. it it matches what we think we're seeing, which is mm. that a bunch of guys stepping up and being anywhere from a lot to a little bit better than we kind of collectively thought yeah. they were going to be. Well, and in know? particular, the top five guys like Besser, Heronic, JT Miller, Pedersen, Hughes are all just like absolutely on fire with their performance in the first 25 games having almost no relationship to what the market or what the model expected yeah. or what the model still expects from them over the balance of the campaign. So it's a it's a pretty interesting snapshot of you know, I think in one part the value of Canucks PP1 but also the way that the top end of this lineup has come out and like really rested control of the narrative, you know, sort of from where we were previously. Uh, quickly here, we got a few more minutes before we go to break, and um, and Kevin Woodley jo- joins us. Uh, somebody texted in, what would it take to get Travis Konechny out of Philly? And I really like Travis Konechny. And as we talk about, like, a difference maker in the top six, he fits the bill for me. But I also think Philly 
And, you know, especially with the fact that they've played pretty well this year, and you look at some of their other players who have played well, like they've got trade assets, legitimate trade assets now, and I think they realize that. So I don't think you're getting him out. I don't think you're getting him for on the cheap. That Let's put it that way. I think that's going to cost you uh, a pretty significant haul of assets if you're going to get Travis Konechny. I love the fit, though. I think he'd be great. Konechny's super cool. Just like a really, really good player. What, why is Philly doing that right now, though? Well, it's the thing. Yeah. And again, like if they want to – if somebody makes them an offer they can't refuse at the deadline, I'm sure they'll do it. An offer they can't refuse. Yeah, seriously. But a godfather offer? <laughs> a godfather offer. But I don't think they're in a hurry to get it done, right? Like they know the value of that asset and they're going to be uh, I I would expect them to be very very patient there. The the other name from Philly that I think is interesting is Sean Walker. Now he's a rental and I don't know how much that yeah, moves he's, the needle, but he's, he's had well. a really really strong season uh, that's th- for them pending ufa and they got paid to take him yeah right uh, he's been awesome um love to see it too he's now you know two years removed basically from that really significant mobility sapping surgery that he had his skating looks so much better this year than it did last year which isn't uncommon given the nature of of his injury and his recovery love love to see that for like a long time favorite of mine who i who i really was not sure about after last season. Like, I, I'm just really happy for him that his skating looks so smooth and that he's having this type of bounce-back impact for the Flyers. A, a great story. We will take a break. Kevin Woodley from InGoal Magazine, NHL.com, will join us next here live from the rink on Canucks Talk. Sportsnet 650. Come on, we've got a guest here. We've got to be on our best behavior. Uh, it's it's going to suck here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Uh, we are live from the mobile Kintec studio here at Rogers Arena. Would, would you say we have an Illmatic guest? Can you hear us, Woodley? <laughs> I can hear you, All right. but I, I can hear you, but I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm just tweaking, Jamie. Uh, I'm, listen, I'm one of the old, so if you guys start into getting getting into modern music references. Modern, 30 years ago, whatever. <laughs> Give or take. Okay, so I should clarify, I'm the old who also has like no, like like zero musical ability or input. Uh, hold on, Kevin Woodley, a presentation Excuse of White me. Rock Hyundai and, uh, from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. Jeremy and I am contractually obligated to correct you, it is White Rock Hyundai, it okay. is not Hyundai, Excuse just Excuse so you know. Me. It's my. It's become my mission that, that in life <laughs> at Sportsnet 650 to make sure that every one of the hosts knows how to properly Hyundai. pronounce Hyundai. 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 I butchered it myself Have a few s- times. So when they signed you up, they were like, okay, listen, there's one, there's <laughs> one thing you got to know here. It's Hyundai. That and and get to know how to use an EV. Like, I didn't know how to use a car that plugged in. There's a lot that goes into there it. But, go. boys, I am absolutely loving it. Drance is on that train. Wh- He's got which? a plug-in car. I, I, I have a, well, a hybrid. hybrid. I have a hybrid. Dude. I have a hybrid. But not, not the full plug-in. I haven't taken the dive yet. But I have have not stopped at a gas station in a full month. That's pretty good. lovely. There is a two-part benefit to this. A, all the money I Your save wallet, yeah. on gas. But like, I know you love to sit on that. I am, yes, yes. That, that's actually usually why I have to go to the chiropractor. I'm like Costanza, you know? 
your hips your hips are out. Is that because uh, you've been playing gold? No, it's because I'm sitting on my fat wallet now that I have an EV from White Rock Hyundai. Um, no, it's the uh, down a couple pounds because every time I stopped at the gas station, I buy nibs. Uh, that's amazing. It's, it's like my kryptonite, man. I, if, the if I'm there, I have to buy nibs. <laughs> Look at that. The electric vehicle, what it can do for you uh, from uh, from Hyundai. From yeah. old Hyundai. <laughs> from Hyundai. Oh, man. From White Rock Hyundai. Uh, uh, old habits. Hyundai heart. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, let's get this back on track and talk hockey. Okay. Um, how excited are you for the goalie matchup tonight? I, sw- I promised, Drance, I was going to ask you a non-goalie question at some point because I was saying, I feel like we put you in a box sometimes. You can talk everything, but we'll start with the goalies. Like, like yeah, this is – is it quite like – Statistically, it's goalie porn, but if this was Shesterkin, right. that might be more up my alley for goalie porn. Like how Aiden Hill does it is a little bit more simplistic. Isn't the word like it's not as visually pleasing as an Igor Shesterkin? James Reimer like? No, no, no. And hey, I'm a big Rhymes guy, <laughs> Me too. but like, but honestly, like, and this is the thing. Like, I know you know at NHL.com uh, that that Thatcher Demko got the quarter pole award for the Vezina Trophy voting at this yep, point in the he's season. He's favorite. Uh, I've seen, you know, a lot – that he's on a lot of the list, and deservedly so. I do think Aiden Hill doesn't get enough respect mm. for how good he's been. Um, and, and he's in more of a job share with Logan Thompson right now. And he's not that far behind Thatcher Demko on an overall ga- goal saved. I tweeted it out earlier today. I was going through Clearside Analytics, and I think Thatcher's around 15. Aiden Hill's number two at 11. But on an adjusted save percentage basis – Thatcher's like plus 3.7 and Aiden's plus 3.4. So among the workhorses, that's one, two. Uh, Lindgren and Quick are actually better than that on a per-shot basis, but they haven't played as much, obviously. Um, you know, I, sa- I said this last year during the playoffs. Yes, Vegas is a great defensive team. And yes, some of the, they still give up high danger, yep. but the high danger they give up is very specific. Like It fits Aiden Hill's strengths, and this is something we can get into and lo- look out for tonight for the Canucks in terms of how they attack. Um he still outperformed what they were giving up last year at plus 3.3% on an adjusted save percentage for clear side analytics. And as I, I kept pointing out in, during the playoffs and as they ended, like, again, not dismissing how perfect the fit he was mm. behind how they defended. If you do that, play like he did in the playoffs for a calendar year, you typically end the season with a Vesna trophy. Mm. And he's plus 3.4 right now. He's slightly better, actually. Wow. So it's really, like, this really is, uh, you know, to me, the two front runners right now. And it's early, but these are the front runners for the Vesna tonight. So how do you attack Aiden Hill to sort of try and at least put him in as uncomfortable a spot as you can, given what Vegas is able to do in front of him? You try to get to the middle of the ice higher in the zone than you might against mm. a lot of guys. And this is where it gets a little tricky. This is where, you know, we, we've heard talk talk a lot about sort of that Joe Pavelski play yeah. and establishing levels and layers to their attack and having that guy in the high slot with the redirect. You're not beating Aiden Hill along the ice, especially given how deep he plays from there, but you might, as JT Miller did in a game recently on a rebound, be able to put it back. Um, this is one of the things, like, the the biggest increase in offense in the NHL over the past couple of years is low slot line plays. So plays across the middle of the ice below the hash marks, right? We know you, if you move the goalie side to side, make him completely change his angle, your odds of going up or your odds of scoring go up like exponentially almost. With Aiden Hill, everything in type, again, because he's a Sean Burke disciple, he plays pretty deep, pretty conservative. Everything in tight with those long legs and that reach and that extension and the way he seals the ice 
that's where he excels. Mm. If you attack him higher in the slot line, he's a little better this year, but last year those numbers were way down. So again, try and create lateral plays a little higher in the zone. If I was attacking off a two-on-one, I would not be trying to sort of get the back door at the side of the crease because Aiden Hill's getting to that. I'd be trying to go higher in the zone and make him move further out, and that where, where you can sort of put him into more of a reactive position mm. with his hands as opposed to down low where you're sort of almost attacking his feet because he doesn't have to move his feet much because of A, his size and where he plays in the crease and how effective he is with both. So my instinct reacting to that, Kevin, is honestly that that fits with what I see the Canucks doing better. You know, like I, I feel like it's the in tight stuff that we haven't seen enough of five on five, whereas this team's perimeter shooting and puck moving almost lends itself decently well to attacking in the way that you described. Would would you see it that way? Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think they have like, and I've kind of been pumping these tires a little bit, and, and I gotta like cool it a little bit because despite <laughs> despite the fact that I I think like their numbers in terms of what they're doing in front of the net and the way they're attacking with traffic and screens and the shots they're getting through to the net right. with screens. Bottom third of the league last year. I think they were eighth last time I checked now. Right. So they're accomplishing more of that. Um, and I, th- I love the way they're doing it, the effectiveness of making goalies move around their screens as they're shooting and talking to some of the players about how they're trying to – like, I love all of that. But at the end of the day, as much as I hype that, their, their expected goals within that, like, clear side, low. clear side accounts for that. Yeah. And some of those yeah. chances are like – like, a layered screen can be a 40% chance. And clear side accounts for that. And they're still like in the mid to low 20s in a lot of their offensive generation. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I agree with you, though, like in terms of I don't know that I'd call them a perimeter team because of those things. But uh, in terms of where some of their opportunities come from, you think of bumper on the power play and things like that. You, that's where you can get Aiden Hill reacting a little bit more as opposed to in tight and down low where he's at his best. Yeah, and sorry, and I'll kick it to Jamie. I just want to clarify. I mean more that their perimeter finishing talent is really high end yeah. as opposed to that they're playing too much on the perimeter. Although I haven't seen them generate, especially over the last 10 games, as much of that down low activity as, as certainly I'd like to well, see. Well, and we've heard talk, talk about trying to set up, right? Like, okay, ha- getting the defensemen to move their feet along the blue line, open yep. up those shooting lanes, get the guys in front for the deflections and the tips and then the, tra- the traffic in front of the net. Don't right? you love, don't you love those conversations too? Like, like he's so good about it. Yeah. And, and he's opening. And when there was one yesterday after practice where he just started talking about analytics with a group of us after the mics were all off and you can see just how much he thinks through these things, about mm-hmm. some he didn't like were certain models, I guess were measuring, you know, short passes, but they were lateral into an area. They were calling them high danger, and he didn't see it as that. And I was like, yeah, no, neither do I. Damn it. It's got across the middle of the ice. Um, but I love that he explains these things, right? Because yeah. in a lot of cases. Sorry, we... I missed the Rick talk it off camera analytics discussion. Oh, yes, you did. I'm oh, sorry, sorry to answer. Stop. Painful. Uh, I, I, I would say I'd share it with you, but none of us were recording, which is what made it so good. Um, so just like, I'm just like digging that in a little further. Yeah, no, I'll get, I'll He's get, just I'll... hating it. Um, I'm not going to say it's because you weren't there. No. <laughs> um, but but I love that it's not just like a lot of the cliche talk we typically hear is yeah. like, we got to get bodies to the net. And you know what? Just getting bodies to the net. I've seen a lot of teams where oh, there's traffic there, but they're not in the right spot. They're not actively taking away a goaltender's eyes and those funneling through from, from the point and from the wall and there's nothing to disrupt the vision. It's, as most goalie coaches would tell you, essentially a turnover. You're just mm. padding the other guy's stats and making him feel good. Well, and i got to say, just on the Talkit point in the conversation with Talkit, and I've been a big booster. I, I've made a big deal about how much I enjoy listening to him on the show. But I love that the collected media has now gotten comfortable with asking him to explain a little bit more, define his terms. Like, I think it was yesterday he mentioned, or the day before. The scissor? The scissor play, right? And somebody towards the end said, just 
can you explain that a little bit for us? Like if we're if somebody's listening is not familiar, go ahead and, and define what you're talking about there, which I love. And he does it, and he's happy to do it. It's yeah, great. No, I, I just I you know like this is this is a market that I believe, and it's not just us in the media. It's you know it's it's in the locker room when I when I well when I was playing pre concussion, but in the locker room with guys that play the game, like those are the questions they want. Like they yeah. love like the fans in this market, the hardcores want that type of analysis, yes. and he fuels it beautifully. Yeah, they want to understand. Yeah, what, why what they're seeing is happening the way they're seeing it. They're, yeah. The the this market's appetite for nuance, detail, whether it's cap analysis or tactical analysis, and the fact is, is that tactical analysis is so hard at the NHL level because you know these coaches, these players are honestly thinking the game at a level that you watch the game with a coach, what they see oh, versus yeah. what we see, it's night and day. Like yeah. it's really hard to provide that level of analysis. As a media member, but the appetite for it's inexhaustible. I, I think it's smart that Doc is fueling it because I think it keeps attention on the game and how brilliant these athletes are, as opposed to some of the noise and the drama that so often fuels the conversation. Well, yeah, I think I think in a lot of cases there might just be an assumption nobody wants to hear it or wants to take the time to understand it from some coaches. I think in other cases they're like, well, if I tell them what it looks like when we're doing it right, they're going to know. When, when guy, we're doing when, it wrong. well, when guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, when guys aren't executing within yeah. it, and they're going to know exactly why I'm mad, or, but like he's so open with them. Like I think those conversations are honest with the players, so why can't they be honest with us? And mm-hmm. there is that risk, I guess, of sharing too much and having an understanding that allows us to analyze how his players are performing at a deeper level. But I think he's. He'll be the first to tell you when they're not doing yeah. what he's supposed to do. When that when they're not getting up on a defenseman tight to give the, their defenseman an outlet for a chip off the like those details are things he shares. So, uh, by the way, I wasn't there for scissoring the other night. I heard about it secondhand in the press box. <laughs> All right. Did you talk to the Golden Knights today? By the way, can you share us any lineup notes or any reaction from the Golden Knights side of the ice in the lead up to the game today? Um, I was. Mm-hmm. In typical me fashion, I was not paying a lot of attention to what the forwards and defensemen were talking Fair. about. Yeah. I was looking for Got the goalies. Gold, Goaltending uh, nuggets for us. But, um, well, actually, an interesting, like, like you talk about the job share and how good that Aiden Hill has been. Like, Yeah, Logan Thompson's sick. They're damn near alternating, right? Yeah, like, up until, up until a recent bit of a slide, and I think it's because he's getting the tougher starts, the back-to-back against Edmonton as they wore out because they're missing, you know, Alec Martinez and Shea Theodore. Um, you know, like he's his his numbers were right there with Aiden for for a chunk of the big chunk of this season. They've only recently dipped a little. Um, but I'm stalling because I'm trying to remember. You know what? I can't. I don't want right. to paraphrase. I don't want to screw it up. But I asked Bruce Cassidy about Vancouver and how much attention he's paid, and he had a big long answer about what he thinks they're doing well. Where think say specifically what he thinks they can attack, but he thought there were some holes there they could get to. And it was quite complimentary. And, and again, w- with a whole bunch of little key details that he shared. And I should actually share the audio. You guys would actually yeah, love I'm, it. So I'll share the it. audio with you after. Because, um, you know, again, like I think I was the only local media there. It was mostly just Vegas people. Um, but he did talk about, like, to him, again, the key is they're defending. Like, that's the difference in yeah. his eyes. Yes. They're defending. And as he said, too, 
you know, he admitted he was in the East when Demko was last at this level, but he's like, you hear things, you hear about how good guys are, and he even talked about, you know, when he was at Boston College, when he was back East and stuff like that, and so those were the two things, how well they're defending, and then when you have a Thatcher Demko behind that. So we talked about uh, how the Canucks can attack Aiden Hill. On the flip side of things, what do you expect, what kind of offensive attack do you expect to see from the Golden Knights on Thatcher Demko, and how similar or different at all does it look from what we saw from Vegas last year when they were winning the Stanley Cup? Well, it's interesting because he talked, you know what, like it was, again, I definitely got to get you guys this audio because they were talking a lot about, or at least uh, Bruce Cassidy was talking a lot about getting to the net and yeah. how their comeback, what he liked about their comeback in Edmonton was that it was fueled by guys getting to those spots and creating that type of offense. I don't think you're going to see them, and again, he talked about this quite openly, they are not going to have as much off the rush without Shea Theodore. That's just the reality. Yep. And as much as they've, they, you know, they, I think they moved the Hague pairing up to second pair minutes without Martinez and Theodore. Um, but, and, and the, he thinks they're capable of handling that. But he said, you can't force a guy to be what he's not. We're just not going to have that type of push from the back end in terms of rush chances. And so I don't think they change much in terms of how they defend because they've always defended well, both rush and in zone. But offensively, I think they're looking to, you know, simplify a little bit more. There's going to be less off the rush. They're going to have to look to... It sounded like a guy was talking about grinding things out a little bit more than maybe they might when a Shea Theodore's in the lineup. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, Theodore is one of the most dynamic puck movers in the NHL. I'm not shocked at all that you get a little bit stuck when those minutes go to Korshak and, you know, White Cloud and the like. Yeah, but Andy, it's funny, though. He did talk about Korshak being a guy that he thought, as he got comfortable, could provide some. Again, not Shea mm. Theodore, but could provide some of that push. So I'm interested to watch him tonight. I think this is three in a row, six of seven for Thatcher Demko. And I know Drance was saying earlier in the show, if he gets the next couple here, all of a sudden you look at the pace he's on for games, and it could be yeah, like up to the 60, 60 mark. As a pace for the first you, time all season. What, do, what's, what have you made kind of overall about how they've used Demko and DeSmith so far this year? And the fact that maybe it looks like he's getting a little bit more uh, consistent run in, in the crease right now. Well, I mean, when he's going as well as he's going, you want to yeah. you want to sort of feed that, right? Um, but I think the numbers starts with a five in terms of ideal, and the second number is probably a five too, right? Like 55 is a target I hear a lot around the league. Again, that conversation with Bruce Cassidy this morning, it wasn't just about trusting both guys and wanting to get Logan Thompson in his minutes. It was about recognizing that Aiden Hill won a Stanley Cup in part because he wasn't overtaxed yeah, right. last season. And we've seen that trend for years and years, right? And I think teams are paying attention to it. So um, they'll have to be careful here, right? Like they'll have to be careful not to overdo this. As much as I think he's made strides in terms of where he's at physically, and we talked about – you know, a different trainer that he brought in last season while he was hurt to change some of the things he does off ice, to change some of his preparation in the summer and how I think that will serve him well. Like the game, Cassidy talked about this, the game has never been more demanding physically mm. for goaltenders. And that's why you're seeing teams recognize. So at the end of the day, as tempting as it is to keep running him out there when he's going as well as he is, you want him like this in April and May and the more you run him out there now, the less likely you are to have him at this level come that time. Do you see any connection between Tockett's critical commentary about the team's efforts over the last 10, where they're trending, and leaning on Demko more at the moment? I wondered about that a little bit. Um, it's, it's a tough one, right? Like, I, I, I got to think they're looking bigger picture than that, mm. right? Like, they should be. They, they can't be... And I think there is a trust in Casey DeSmith, right? Yeah. Like as much as and I, there should be, yeah. And, is, and he's given them like 
the underlying numbers aren't quite as flattering as the raw numbers, right? Like, um, you know, there there are second chances that come off KC that I think sometimes make the night look a lot busier. And I'm not even saying they're bad chances. Like, they're he keeps a lot of them in front of him. Like, the one he spilled the other night in San Jose where he got caught moving and so it, you know, he was moving to his right in the rebound. Like, that's rare. He's really good. He creates a lot. There are a lot of rebounds, but they're not all, not all rebounds are bad rebounds, right? So um, this isn't necessarily a criticism. I just think early in the year, a lot of people are like, oh my God, like the, like they were just shelled and he was amazing. And then I look at the numbers the next day, I'm like, I think a lot of the busyness is because of the second chances. And I think they've doing a, done a really nice job to this point, maybe a little less so minus Carson Soucy of taking care of that area right. in front of the net and not allowing those second, second pucks to become second chances. And so... You know, so you hope there's enough trust in there, given what he's given you so far, to to play him in Calgary, maybe yeah. on a Saturday night, right? Because as you said, this let's see what the workload is tonight, first and foremost, right? Like how busy is Thatcher tonight? But I, I think they're cognizant of all that stuff. Um, it's you know, I I think we have to take a wait and see approach. If, but if those numbers start to get 60 plus, then you know the I don't care. Every goalie thinks they're capable of it. Like I'm the guy that can. I had a goalie just two years ago tell me he still thinks he could play all 82, right? Like, literally, like it was they one, all want to play. They, he, it was a young guy, and he that guy, and he's in the lead up and cover, and he's like, that's my goal is to one be one day be the guy that plays all 82. <laughs> but, man, this schedule's a grind. Like, yeah, it chews you up brutal. and spits you out. No, and these, these guys all want to play. Like, you know, find me the goalie who's like, no, I want to play 55, and I'll, you know, that that guy's a liar. Well, yeah. well hey, listen, I quit. Him. Like, like, we've tire-pumped the organization a lot, and they deserve it for a lot of what's going on here. But again, yesterday, loved what I saw at UBC. Thatcher Demko out, like, 20 minutes early, working with Ian Clark before everybody gets on. And this is, if you're a young goalie or you're a parent of a goalie right now listening, this is the guy who's the front-runner for the Vesna Trophy. And what's he doing for those 15 to 20 minutes? positional stuff. All crease movement patterns. All crease movement. Okay, it's, so, it's so awesome to see. And then so he, he got does off that every practice, man. No, but this was this was this was full Different? 15 20 minutes of it. Like everybody he did go- that in Tampa Bay early in the year though after he got he played Philly, played one of his best games of the year frankly. He was like five games ga- goal saved above expected in that even game. Even though the nuts. team as as a whole was bad. Next day, Tampa Bay, bright and early. It was like 30 minutes, and it was that same, like... Just all crease movement, crease All that movement. crease movement. And so I've actually always wondered, because it's almost like whistle, he moves, whistle, he moves. You know, like, it's such a weird drill. But, no, I've seen that a ton on the road, like, yeah, and that's, all year long. It's a great lesson for kids. Um, so there's a two-parter here. One for kids and goalie parents, because I've seen this. I've been in the summer on the ice with NHL goalies and, and, and their, their summer coaches, and they'll be going through this positional stuff, and I'll have and we'll have cameras out on the ice and everything mm-hmm. for Ian Goal. And in some cases, in the past, where I was working as a consultant, and I'd have a parent or somebody see us out there and come and like, hey, like they'd know me and they'd be like, hey, like this is just a video shoot, right? Like he's not, a- this isn't actually him doing his work. I'm like, no, this is what it looks like. Like it doesn't need to be dynamic yeah. with ten t- people flying all over the place and pucks everywhere. This is the foundation. Carey Price always used. This is the foundation upon which great goaltenders are built. The second part, though is that he's able to get off. This is more to the point of the rest. Because Roman Bazran's there. And the practice goalie hops in and Thatcher leaves early, right? So he gets the work in that matters, spends a little time with his teammates so they've got an NHL target for a bunch of drills, and then gets off and lets somebody else handle the rest of it. Like it's, To me, it's such a feather in the cap that they've gotten here as an organization. Next step would be to travel. I don't know if they, they would travel. I know there is one team that I heard travel to practice goalie last year. Outside Talk, Talkett's of, discussed it as a possibility. Yeah, I, I'd love to see them do that. I, I think you can find, without giving them, you know, 
obviously nights off matter. And hey, there's an argument to be made where if you're not the starter and you know you're not going in, don't don't even dress. Don't yeah. even dress. But no goalie wants to be that guy. Um, but there are other ways to find rest, and I, and I love the fact. I thought yesterday was just a perfect example of Thatcher staying on top of a game that is clearly clicking and still getting more rest than he otherwise would have if they didn't have mm. Roman Bazran there. Well, and you mentioned okay, let's see what the workload is tonight before we start thinking about who's going in on Saturday against Calgary. And I know Talkett has talked a lot about yeah, we want to limit his games, but we also want to make sure he only has to play half the ice, right? He's not constantly going post to post and making these really. Uh, high high difficulty saves to preserve him that way. Like, does that? Do you have a number in mind where that translates? Like, okay, hey, if they're playing this way in front of Thatcher Demko, you know, he can play two more games or three more games. You know what I mean? Like, how does that actually translate? How do you quantify how much extra rest that buys a goalie if you're playing that kind of defense in front of him? It's actually a really good question. I don't have an answer to it. I think it would need sports science. Like, yeah. I, I like I need to see what the heart rate looks like. Like, yeah, they have people measuring this, right? Like, like how much of a difference is that? Yeah, where I think. It makes a big difference because you're still like, Corsi exists for a reason, right? It was a goalie coach that yeah, invented it, right? Yeah, I was about right? to bring this up. <laughs> yeah, like like re- measuring workload based on like shot attempts, and it's not even shot attempts. Like every time the puck moves in the offensive zone, you've got to push, stop, relocate it, scan the ice, and find where the other five guys are. You know, like it's a lot of work out there. Where I think the back and forth saves you is I think it reduces your risk of an injury, mm. like the one we saw last year. Right, like how many times this year, and I've had this discussion with Ian Cole, like, hey, like, seem like because the PK is bleeding a little bit, like it's 29th right now in terms of expected goals yep. against on high danger. Like that's not where you want. We it talk to about be. this a lot on the show. <laughs> and Ian Cole talked about, listen, like they're gonna, especially on the PK, seam plays happen, like they're gonna happen, but with a few expletives intermixed, there's no way we're letting it go back the other way again. Double slot line plays, like if it goes back and forth, uh, I'm trying to pull up the numbers as we talk, but I think like the numbers go up, like like traditionally what a what a slot line double does, like historically, um, the av- like it's it's insane, like it becomes like a 50 or 60 percent scoring chance if it goes across twice. Yeah. Um, how many times? Like we've seen it last a few. year. Oh, last <laughs> year. Last year, every night. Yeah, and and multiple times a night. Yeah. Like there was the Dallas one here where he made that incredible game-changing save on, on Wyatt Johnson. Right. Exactly. In a, in a game that you know two nothing game, it was nothing nothing right. at the time. We haven't seen many like that. There was one here recently where he got cut, like trying. It was a backdoor where they did go back and forth across, and he got caught moving to his left as it was going back. But it's like on one hand we're counting it. We used mm-hmm. to count that many. On a night, <laughs> and now we can't find well, them on in a, a single season. power play opportunity. <laughs> exactly, and so like Woo! I think that those are the situations, and like even go back right to the one where he got hurt last year. Like yeah. that was one of those ones. On there's the been sixth a, shot attempt of like <laughs> yeah, like a flurry. And they, hey, there's like listen, when you give up odd man rushes, there are going to be times, and we've seen it a couple times this year where. On a two-on-one pass, the guy catches it. There's no pressure, and he pulls you back the other way. That's yeah. a double slot line. And there was one here recently where people were like, oh, I can't believe he missed. That could have been a, that could have changed the game. But if you look, Thatcher actually grabbed an edge and got back. And the reason the guy missed is because he had to elevate yeah. at speed in tight because Thatcher grabbed an edge and went the other way. There's been a few of those saves early in the year, too. Those are the plays that get you hurt. Well, the Noah Gregor one, too, where like that wasn't a double slot, but that was the, the, the rush wrist shot in Toronto where he had to move all the way across, and the guy just made his shot. People were like, that's a soft goal. You can't allow that at this point. And it's like, 
No, there's <laughs> pre-creased movement. This is yeah. an NHL shooter. Guess what? Yeah, but say if it's anywhere below the top of the circles and you get it across the ice and shoot it quick, and then there's other elements, like does the guy hit his spot? Does it yeah. go against the grain? Things like that. But it's a high-danger scoring play, and there's a lot of plays from a lot closer that don't involve puck movement that get counted as high-danger elsewhere that aren't high-danger. But that's another – at least at least I know from yesterday, sorry, Drancer, that me and Talkett are on the there same page go. on that one. Uh, Woodley, this was awesome, man. We really appreciate it. No one hates it. expected goals more than me, man. <laughs> Hey, as a goalie guy, I hate all goals, all especially goals. the ones that are expected. expected. Unexpected. <laughs> Although, wouldn't you hate unexpected ones more? Like, uh, I mean, John Gibson and Elias Patterson. That was an unexpected goal oh. the other night. He, I, you know, amazing given he only surrendered two, but I thought that was one of the worst goalie performances we've seen all season. I didn't. You know, I was here. Obviously, I watched it. It doesn't jump out to me in that way. I didn't think he was tested enough where I was really evaluating. Yeah. But well, that's what I'm he's saying. Been, he's been pretty good for them it this year too. Me a he has. He the, has. Uh, but like the Remember? squeeze. The squeeze, like it wasn't a super high danger chance that he leaked for Besser to have an empty net. Oh, I think that you know the one on the empty net, like that was that was a that was a slot line play from JT to uh, Philip Hronik one time around the side, and he actually got there with his pads closed, and it just rattled around in his pads and leaked out. Got like it, that's okay. a you, no, you no, I'm giving him a pass on that one. Okay. You're way too hard on the goalies, Rance. This is a puncher. <laughs> Come on, Woodley's never done this again. God. I, don't rip goalies. I'm not hard on goalies. I have no idea what they're doing. I just like the ones that stop the puck. Drancer keeps going like this. He's going to discover the front end of my White Rock Hyundai. <laughs> All right, Woodley, we appreciate it, man. This was awesome. Thanks for coming up uh, to, in, and joining us in person it, here. It'll be a cold Hyundai in hell before Very that happens. Good. And thank you for saying it so I can rejog my memory about how to say it. <laughs> Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650 brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George and White Rock or WhiteRockHyundai.com. Thanks, Woodley. Appreciate it. That's real fun, guys. Thanks uh, for we having will me. Get, we will uh, have more Canucks talk coming up here. Final segment of the show. We'll hear from Rick Tockett. Get into your texts here on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Big game tonight. Public doesn't really expect the upstarts from the Pacific Northwest to defeat this juggernaut defensive side. But enough about the Seahawks. <laughs> Seahawks, Cowboys. Uh, Seahawks flexed. Seahawks, Eagles flexed into Monday night. Let's go. Yeah. That's, that's fun. Yeah. I, I, I love watching the slow-moving magma that is the – Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles. I haven't take many, taken in many shots at Dastardly Dan this year, by the way. <laughs> but I wanted to point out a sequence in our 650 Fantasy League. And I, I just want this out there for any listeners. Whenever you're down bad, just think about Dan. Dan was the high waiver bidder for Isaiah Likely on, on the waiver wire. But 
was unable was last week. Last week, yeah, but was unable to add likely to his roster because he had a full roster. He didn't drop a guy, and clearly on tilt from that, he then made space on his roster by dropping Zach Moss. Now pre <laughs> pre Jonathan Taylor injury, but like two days pre, yeah. And then Jonathan Taylor's injury happens, and then Jamie used his yes, entire I have not made a single waiver bid. Yeah. <laughs> and said I spent $100 which, on Zach Moss. Which, you know, like, honestly, dap you up. Good job. Well done. <laughs> so I'm in a desperation scenario. I need, I need Zach Moss to come through for me uh, this week. Canucks, not in a desperation scenario, but looking to make a, looking to make a statement. Very, against the very un-Alvin-like from, uh, from Dan Riccio. Just, <laughs> just saying. Not, uh, not, you know, being patient, holding his cards close to his vest. <laughs> just like fully on tilt. Play, I was going to say playing on tilt. Yeah. I don't, that's Alvin Rutherford. We haven't seen an on tilt moment. I don't think from them. I, I thought the heroic trade was one, but mm. it's worked out so swimmingly. Yeah, that you know, uh, like I really, I was really harsh on what they did prior to the deadline, and in particular the, the way they allocated cap space. The the Kuzmenko Bovillier heroic one two three to me made no sense. It created an environment where they had to buy out OEL, which I still think is negative. We're not feeling the negatives from it now, but we will. In two, three years, uh, without question, we will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, w- like, right now, it's easy to be like, oh, they weren't on tilt. <laughs> but I think, I still think that work ahead of the trade deadline smells good now, but it better pay off with a, with a like, well, credible playoff uh, appearance. And then, again, next year. Like, you have to be a durable playoff team, in my mind, to justify that sequence of moves and what resulted from that sequence of moves. And the time where, like, being quote-unquote on tilt would really worry me would be, like, if the Canucks continue to play 500 hockey between now and Christmas and you kind of are sensing the good start slipping away. Now, sure. to the to the front office's credit, like, everything we heard from Alvin yesterday was, hey, we got to, <laughs> you know, we need to be more consistent. We I need loved, to see more. I right, loved like, how circumspect All of the messaging has been yeah. not that. From Talkit, from Alvin when we heard him, you know what I mean? Like, the rumor mill, their first round pick what isn't on the done? table. What have we done? Who are we? Right. Like, so they, I want to be clear, like, I from what we can tell, they're not falling into that trap at all. They've, they've been around long enough to know you don't dance in the end zone when you're at the five-yard line. Yeah. And, and you know, in, in the Canucks case... It's more like they're at the 45-yard line, but they've, you know, moved the ball really yeah. well on first down. You know, it, there's a lot of room here still to run. And, and this team's schedule is really tough for the next three and a half weeks. And their form the last 10 days has not been great. So, you you know, I, I mean, I think that – now, one thing I will note, though, whether, the, whether it's on tilt, uh, quote-unquote, or not, aggression is built in when Jim Rutherford's the head of hockey operations. Like, you will make moves. They've made four of the seven moves we've seen. They're the only team that seems to be able to move cap space right now. Like, aggression from this front office is baked in, and I think it'll have nothing to do. Like, if they make a big swinging trade, uh, you know, five games from now, three games from now, regardless of the outcome of the next three to five games, that's just going to be in line with their usual M.O., yeah. In my mind, anyway. But you can be aggressive. There's different ways to be aggressive. For you sure. know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, we have to go and get a defenseman right now versus, hey, we think this guy can be an impact player for three years for us. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of different flavors uh, of aggression. And look, 
they have the cap space and they have the flexibility. What's your favorite flavor? Should we should we draft <laughs> should we flavors? Them? Should we draft Give us, do yeah. our tiers? Yeah, I like ketchup aggression. <laughs> but um, you're an all oh, dressed aggression I, guy. I completely forget what I was gonna, how I was going to finish <laughs> that. Thought I'm down. so sorry, man. No, no, it's all right. I just liked. I honestly, I just thought flavors yeah, of regression yeah, yeah. was so resonant. My okay, go. So resonant. <laughs> no, it was like it was. I liked it. I was excited for you. Your similes are so resonant, bro. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that would have been a metaphor, actually. <laughs> Everyone knows your metaphors are sick, bro. Um, but uh, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, like, I think the one thing that we all agree on in the wake of the Bovillier trade is that cap money is getting spent. And I don't say that as a negative. That's fine. Go out and improve the team. Look for ways to improve the team. But they're, they are going to find a way uh, to use that, that uh, flexibility at some point to try to improve this roster. All right, you can get your text in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Of course, big, big game here tonight between two Pacific Division rivals, the Canucks what and are, the What are the Knights. stakes, Jamie? I, I, I don't, I don't want to get into it. No, you can tell – tell me what you think the stakes are. I think the sta- – no, I – okay, honest, I'm not joking about this. I did not even – clock one way or another the first in the Pacific thing like my thought waking up and starting to fill in the rundown was measuring stick game against the defending Stanley Cup champions and potential playoff preview that's what it was for me I I also I also think do you know who doesn't take screenshots of the standings in November and December really good teams fans of really good teams yeah yeah you know what I mean like there's something about it there's something about it that bothers me. Yeah, like always has. I don't. It, it does not bother me. Obviously, like I don't care if people are things don't bother first, you. Yeah, I mean I'm pretty good at that. But like, <laughs> whereas I, everything, <laughs> everything bothers me. Bothers you. I live in a state of constant bother. But what I was gonna say is, oh, to me, the big takeaway if they win this game isn't that they're first in the division. I don't care if people no. are celebrating that. It's that they beat the defending Stanley Cup champions. Totally right. Like that's the takeaway. No, go toe to toe with Vegas, yep. and that means way more than. Oh, you're first, so long as we ignore LA's games in hand. Like, that's pathetic, man. All right. On that note, let's hear from <laughs> Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media earlier today. Yeah, Free- Freeman is going to go back in. And then up front. Same, same. Same, same yeah. Yeah. We brought Carlson up, too, just to want to, you know, practice with us and see. He might be a possibility down the road. And Demmer in goal. Yeah, Demmer's in that. Yeah, yes. Yep. Rick, Cole McWard reassigned this morning. Uh, what did you see from him in his one NHL game, and what's the thought process in sending him down so quickly? Well, just having – which is great, having an average what, 45 minutes away, it's great. So just to, you know, bring some guys up, get them a taste, get them back down there. It's, it's kind of that. Um, you know, him practicing with the big team. We, we Actually, we haven't had a lot of practice, but there's been some practice where he's been in. Just to see the speed. Now he goes down, I think, and, and, and see where how he reacts off you know the, the short stay here. Um, well, Landon's uh, you know he's healthy. He played I think last night or or no didn't play last night. He's going to be playing here, so he's a possibility maybe down the road too. So we we, we got to see what we got basically. Um, Vegas. So Vancouver has never beaten Vegas in this building in regulation since Vegas came into the league. Um, does this feel like uh, whatever term you want to use, measuring stick game or, or something yeah. like that? Is the, is the that is this game one of those? Well, for us, I think it's I don't know the measure stick. It's obviously you're excited to play these type of games. Like, I mean, think of Vegas. Everywhere they go, they hear the same thing. Hey, we're me- the measuring stick. We're we're that team, you know. Um, but for me, it's um, it's kind of fun, you know. There's a whether it's I don't know 
first place on the line. Little things like that motivate you. Uh, a lot of games left. I mean, it's not, I don't think it defines either team the result, but I think the reaction of our players against this team to see how we play against them is something that we're, we're all looking forward to see. Because, um, you know, they got four lines, 60. I know they got a couple of D are banged up, but they still don't miss a beat. Talked highly about uh, the defense core from that Vegas team over there. What is it that your team needs to do to kind of break through what they have? And I know they're missing a couple guys as well. Yeah, they're long. You know, I, I think you got to hold pucks uh, against any defense, but it's really important to win those puck battles, uh, even against bigger guys. Um, and then when you get it, you got to skate. You got, you know, I call it the good ice. You, you know, you can't if you stand around against Vegas, you're in trouble. You got to skate. You're going to make them work like. Uh, like every team, but especially this team, you got to make them work. You can't let them, you know, if you're not skating against them, you're in trouble. We're about to just pass the quarterway part of the season, yeah. I guess. Working with Niels Huglander, it feels like this is the year where he's starting to figure out a lot of the things that he needs to do in a depth role to be successful and consistent. What's it been like for you just working with Niels up to this point in the season? Yeah, he's chipping away at his game. Like, he's, he's you know... It's funny, I thought the last game, you know, I put him up there in line, he gave some energy to Millsy's line. Um, and there's sometimes on the forecheck, we want him to be in a certain place, and sometimes he goes a little too wide, and that's why we get odd man rushes. And he corrected himself last game twice. I could see he wanted to do the old habit, and he said, oh, and he put the brakes on, and he got to, So that's the next step for him. Like now it should be, it's habitual for him where he knows where he has to be. Um, but I saw that last, last game where he, like, corrected himself. Like, I didn't see that before. He would just go wide, and then you have a three-on-two against you, where now it's like I'm watching, oh, no, i, I got to be here. So if he can get to that level, I mean, he's a damn good player. Certainly plays with an edge. Yeah. Sometimes crosses. Do you think that's mm-hmm. important for him to play that way and that brings other, yeah, other parts? Yeah, I, I mean, he has to be a pest and a bulldog out there on the forecheck and run into people. But – you know, you got to be careful too. You can't be undisciplined, stick penalties and things like those are, you know, holding, you know, the holding stuff you got to, you can't do, but you can't take the reckless thing away from him. Is that's his game. You know, I'd like him playing reckless on the four check, especially. He had, you know, he had a great rookie year down in Abbotsford mostly yeah. last year and now back. What, what do you think for him that he gained going down to Abbey for that, that uh, season? I think Jeremy called it a great job. Hockey IQ, you know, that's something I, when I got here, that was something that he, he had to work on. And I, I, I'm seeing him chip away at that. Um, and there's times I got to get him out there, Mark. To be honest, for, you know, unfortunately, he doesn't penalty kill. He's on the power play. So he sits there for five, six minutes. You know, um, if you take the power play and penalty kill away in a game, I mean, you know, he'd be, <clears throat> you know, he'd probably get those 12, 13 minutes. But yeah, there's some times I got to get him out there and I try to bump him up with uh, maybe. Uh, even tonight, might bump him up on the top two lines every once in a while. I think having him sit there um, when you're a four-checking guy like that, you got to get him out there. You talk so much as well about the rest of the team being predictable. How much of his growth is about the environment around him in terms of how his teammates are playing? <clears throat> uh, huge. Just, just that there's he knows what they're doing, that he doesn't have to sort of guess. If you yeah, will. like when I say he's got to play reckless, but he also has to have the, the confine of, of our system. Like he has to be in certain places – um, because you know it's crucial, right? Uh, you know, the, and I think being in the environment he's been this year, he's starting to chip away at it, even in practice. And you know, we're doing a lot of correcting, and he's uh, you know, and we have a lot of coaches always in his ear watching video. The, the Twins have really t- taken a you know a, a lot of video with him this year. Um, but like I said, I saw a, you know aha moment for me last game twice. 
he almost went to the old habit and he corrected himself. And that's the next, you know, it's like almost like he broke through. Um, now he's got a, you know, this is a big test for not so much Hoggy or team, but even Hoggy. Like, they're a disciplined, smart, well-coached team. We got to be the same against this team. We can't be just reckless and diving everywhere because they'll, they're, they're pretty good at countering against that. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking earlier today. And a lot of focus on uh, Niels Hoaglander in that press conference, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, the one thing that Rick Tockett had to say that really stood out about Hoaglander was, you know, has to be a pest and a bulldog out there. And we've seen a couple of those on the edge or over the edge moments from Niels Hoaglander recently. And, you know, you look at this game tonight, and obviously Hoaglander is not a big player. We know that. But... Like, this is a great moment where can you go out and get under the skin of some of those big, tough physical players? Can you find a way to get inside and still be that pest and that bulldog even in an environment like this, right? Like, show that it's not just against Seattle and San Jose that you can be right up over the line, right? Like, do it against Vegas as well and and get that result from it. And and against, you know, the Keegan Colasars of the world that Vegas has on their fourth line. Yeah, I mean, I think when Niels Hoaglander is at his best. And I said this in the wake of that slew foot, which yep. I thought was a dirty play. People were mad at me on Twitter anyway, being like, no, that's just incidental contact. It's like, nope, dirty play. But I like that he has that in his bag of tricks. I think that gives him an edge or a personality or a role on this gives him team. an identity. Yeah. Like, what do, you, what do you do? Well, and when he's at his best, man, you should be able to play, like, all of Niels Hoaglander's shifts in a YouTube clip set to Woody Woodpecker's laugh track. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like Hoaglander going around, dunking on guys, stealing the puck off the wall, beating... Annoying the heck out of them. Yeah, like reverse hits along the boards. You know, like all the stuff that Niels Hoaglander does when he's really engaged and effective. By the way, one thing about Niels Hoaglander, I've been so high on this player for so long. He's leading the NHL in rate scoring, 5-on-5. Five five. He's also leading the NHL in shooting percentage. Yes. Like, this run of finishing form is impressive, but also he's got, like, you know, the the rebound in Colorado that just, like, fell right to him with the with the net empty or the rush wrist shot goal on Joey Decord in Seattle. Like, those sorts of plays aren't going to be bread and butter for him going forward. What I, what I do think he can help this team do, um, albeit as a average finisher at best, in my opinion, based on his at true talent level, is generate scoring chances like he helps you maintain possession he he in my mind is the sort of guy who can help your best players have more of the puck because of the way he can dig it out from along the wall and because he's pretty skilled uh he, he's able to help you attack the net front he's helped you to uh he's able to help you attack the dangerous areas of the ice like ultimately i do want to see this guy get an uh, an opportunity up lineup because i think he can help like i think he can help a a Pedersen. Um, you know, a JT Miller may be a different story just because that's that minutes burden is so difficult. Mm. That matchup burden is so difficult. But, you know, to hear Rick Tockett talk about Hoaglander self-adjusting, right, hitting his spots more reliably, um, you know, if he can keep that up, I'll be curious to see if he can earn an expanded role going forward because, honestly, I think he can do things that not a lot of other guys on this team can I could see Hoaglander fitting well as the third guy on a good top six line, yeah. right? You know, like we talk so much, we've talked so much recently about getting that running mate 
for Elias Pettersson. And I think if you had that and then you bring in Niels Hoaglander as the cheap complimentary player totally. to two really good players on that line, like I think he does. I don't think it's a Connor Garland situation where it's like, well, hold on, he needs the puck. Uh, on his stick. No, he can dig. You know what I mean? Like, Hoaglander can dig, go to the front of the net, do some of those other things to help to put those other players in, in uh, positions to succeed. But can he do, like, right now on that line, you've got Mikheyev. Can he do Mikheyev type things? Yeah. You know, uh, that's that's still, he's still got a ways to go. Mikheyev's defensive awareness, his defensive IQ is just through the roof. Yeah. But I do think, for all I'm saying, that Hoaglander, in my mind, is, uh, you know, probably tops out as an average finisher in this league. Um, you know, I, I I think that's like something to aspire to for Mikheyev, right? Like I don't I know Mikheyev's finished at a dizzying rate since coming to Vancouver, but look looked at for his career, um, and just based on his raw tools, like you know I, I think there's more offensive pop in Hoaglander's game long term, but there's a lot of road to run before he can dig as effectively and complement skilled players as effectively on the defensive side of the And be out there, not necessarily in a matchup role, but in an environment, if you're playing in the top six, you're going to be out there against against good players, right? So, and Mikheyev, as you said, has that defensive awareness, has that trust. You know, he did get a shift, though, in the third period on Tuesday with Besser and Miller. So, for all that I just said that, like, it was an open play shift. It wasn't a defensive zone start shift. But in open play... He he'd played well enough that Tockett rewarded him and actually gave him a turn in leverage in a close third period game with the team pressing to play with, you know, a top six line or, or even Vancouver's top line in terms of usage. So, you know, you can see it coming. Mm-hmm. It's just we're clearly not there yet to the point where he's going to skate in the top six in line rushes. But I, I do think I do think he's trending in a way where he's got a chance to position himself to have an expanded role down the stretch. And, and again, I can't shake the feeling that this team kind of needs him. Well, and another thing we heard from Rick Tockett there was pointing to a couple of examples in the most recent game where he saw Niels Hoaglander almost make a play, a bad play, in Rick Tockett's view, and then almost like process in real time. Oh. Wait, no. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the right thing instead. And Tockett kind of illustrated that. Like, hey, we're seeing that. That's part of the growth that we want to see from Niels Hoaglander. The other thing I'd point out, right, is with Phil DiGiuseppe playing next to Miller and Besser, and we saw how Beauvillier would often get bumped up there or even started skating there in line rushes, well, Beauvillier is out of the picture, right? So if DiGiuseppe doesn't have an iron grip on that spot, the guy who was getting that chance instead of him is gone – that could be Niels Hoaglander, and I would even wonder, you know, if they're trailing in the third period, does Niels Hoaglander get bumped up to that spot, right, where they're chasing some offense? Like, sure. is that kind of the next evolution of him having a bigger role in the well, lineup? Especially because it's not just Di Giuseppe, whose grasp on a top six wing spot we're sort of wondering about right now, right? It's also Andre yep. Kuzmenko. Uh, and as somebody texts in here as we uh, get ready to wrap up the show, was, in our, was there an update on Ilya Mikheyev? There was, yeah, fine. He was at practice yesterday. Yep. No change for the lineup, so he's going to be in the game. So, uh, tough good dude. news. Tough dude. Good news there. Hockey players, pretty tough. Ho- ho- hockey players, man, it's amazing how much pain they can tolerate. Did you see Seth Rogen drop the puck at the uh, Kings game yes, yesterday? Yes, Also, people are like, what a traitor. It's like, has he ever shown any signs of being know. a Canucks fan? But, he um, hasn't. Straight but up. they asked him, like, what, what did you think? And he's like, yeah, hockey players are really big. <laughs> that was his takeaway from dropping the puck. And I was like, well, you're right. They are. And you know what? See, I think that's 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 because they're on skates, man. He didn't adjust no, for the No, but they're also like, how big is Ovi? One of the guys, who are the captains? Ovi and Kopitar? Yeah, okay, those guys are huge. <laughs> but like, yeah, so that's who he's dropping it to. No, but you walk into a hockey locker room 
I remember having this experience early in my career. You walk into a hockey locker room, and I remember – now, granted, I'm six feet tall, but I remember being shocked by the fact that I was, like, the sixth tallest person mm. in the room, um, given that I'm not particularly tall. Um, what hockey players are in terms of being like, oh, wow, they're wide. They're bumper car people. That's, mm. that's always what's – Well, yeah, I mean, he didn't say tall. Players. He said big. They're large. That, that encompasses well, no, both height I think you're and right. width. I think you're right. Kopitar, Kopitar, and Ovechkin on skates. That You might as well be walking through the forest. <laughs> All right. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. We're back tomorrow for more Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650. <laughs>